G'day and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers and moves in livestock, grain, oilseed and fibre markets. My name's Ethan Woolley and thanks for listening to episode 247. On today's episode, we are joined by Sarah Bolton, Dairy Beef and Animal Welfare Manager with Greenhams. As a veterinarian with a wealth of experience in the dairy industry, Sarah has a keen interest in finding sustainable solutions, and today she joins us to discuss strategy and production system gaining some momentum in Australia, raising dairy beef. It's another excellent example of how production systems in Australia can be well suited to take advantage of changing buyer expectations and demands. Before we get to the interview, a quick update on the latest in commodity markets as of the 22nd of September 2023. On the lamb front, many of the prime sale reports from the past week quote the heavy export market as attracting the strongest bidding as the market looks for weight with processes driving demand. Heavier mutton also seems to be where bidding is preferred as the national mutton indicator managed to hold above the 100 cent mark this week. For wool, it was a tale of two coasts as bidding for Tasmanian lots supported the eastern market indicator to a modest 4 cent reduction whereas the bidding on the West Coast struggled to reach seller expectations, with the passing rate averaging 17.4% for the week and the Western market indicator losing 27 cents in the same period. Expectations of lower Australian and Argentinian wheat crops have not been enough to stall the drop in Chicago Board of Trade wheat prices. Cheap and plentiful wheat coming out of the Black Sea will likely put a cap on any rallies in the short term. To the cattle job, and with the 90CL price continuing to improve, Processors have been taking advantage of the influx of processor spec cows headed to the yards. Young cattle on the East Coast are below the 400 cent per kilo carcass weight threshold for the first time since March 2019. The more affordable trend has seen the heavy steer discount to young cattle now flipped, with Yeki now at a discount to heavy finish steers. For those with feed, this might provide an opportunity to make the most out of the current situation in the cattle market. I'll now hand over to Robert Herman and Sarah Bolton. Thanks, Ethan. Yes, we've got Sarah Bolton here. And Sarah Bolton is the, as you said, the Greenham's Dairy Beef and Animal Welfare Manager. Um, it's an interesting topic when you're talking about a beef processor such as Greenham's to suddenly be focusing on dairy. But um, I was fortunate enough to um, catch up with you down at Gippsland, the Red Meat Conference, Sarah, and you had a really good presentation there. And we'd love to talk a bit more about it now. Obviously, Greenhams can see there is a market there, but there's a bigger picture to this, isn't it? Because the area you work in has a lot of dairy cows. Absolutely. Um, and thanks for having me, Robert. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Um, so I guess from Greenham's perspective, the opportunities in the dairy beef space are numerous. Um, but first and foremost, as you mentioned, Approximately 85% of Australia's national dairy cows are located within a reasonable distance from Greenham's three processing plants, which are in northern Victoria, Gippsland and Tasmania. So it's a natural fit that already the business has relationships with dairy farms because the reality is that every dairy farm produces tonnes of beef every year. Traditionally, we probably haven't capitalised on the opportunities to maximise the value of that beef coming off farms and, of course, 
the surplus dairy calf, often referred to the bobby calf when killed in the first few days of life, um, is one of those opportunities that we have as an industry to turn something that has traditionally been seen as a waste product, for want of a better term, uh, to turn that into a really valued commodity and address animal welfare opportunities, public perception opportunities, but also business profitability as well. And it's it's going to, I guess it's going to also create market opportunities for other people, so people who want to rear calves or grow them out. Um, is that the case? Is that what you're finding already? Yeah, certainly. Um, from a dairy business perspective, there's the opportunity for diversification of outputs, so not just to be focusing on milk production, but to potentially spread risk um, with increasing beef production from the business. But that's going to be different at the level of every business with some wanting to focus on milk production and others wanting to diversify. There is the opportunity when it comes to calf rearing, although in Australia, calf rearing capacity is perhaps a little bit of a bottleneck with these supply chains. But from a beef uh, producer's perspective, purchasing dairy beef wieners as an input into a beef backgrounding and or finishing system is an opportunity to acquire, for example, a lower carbon footprint input for the business. So there are many opportunities. That's a really good point. Now, I noticed that um, there are there are certain requirements of the program and one that I'm thinking of just based on what you just told us then is the traceability. You need to be able to trace these animals for their lifetime. So I'm certain that uh, people who have NLS recording is going to be important, but just talk a little bit about how you use that traceability um, to the advantage of, I guess, firstly, your business, but also in your marketing. So the Greenham Dairy Beef Program is setting dairy beef calves or beef on dairy, whatever your preferred terminology is, um, to be eligible for um, more or less all of our premium markets. So for Greenham, that's our Never Ever Products, which in Tasmania is our Cape Grim brand, and here on the mainland is Bass Strait. And those brands have a number of different raising claims, including being certified grass-fed, certified humane, no antibiotics, no hormones, etc., And as part of those raising claims, having that traceability behind the product is really important. Um, And the other way that we make those raising claims is that every farm on which that animal was raised for whole of life is program accredited as well. And we audit those farms with third party auditing so that we have the confidence behind the brands when we say something on the label about attributes of the product that we trust the process behind how that animal has actually been raised. Now I'm just I'm just surprised then that um, I've known about the Cape Grim brand and I've um, I've actually purchased the Cape Grim brand and I can tell you it's a it's a beautiful product and also the um, Bastrate beef brand but I was surprised that you're now saying I, I thought they were 100% Angus but you're saying that's not necessarily the case now. So those two brands um, have their own set of claims but Angus is not one of them. No. Now you mentioned a couple of the other things um, and some of them are quite straightforward and easily explained. So 100% grass-fed, um, we get that. I mean, there's, that's where you get some great flavour out of grass-fed. Talk to me, though, about and free-range, um, you know, <laughs> so basically not going into a feedlot. But talk to me about Certified Humane. And it's got a, I know it's got a registration. It's a registered brand. Just talk to me a little bit about what that means. So Certified Humane is an interesting one because it's not very well recognised here in Australia. But Greenham exports about 90% of the product that we produce and about 70% of total product goes to customers in the US. And in the US, 
the certified humane uh, label is really well recognised and is important for our market access over there. So it is a higher welfare claim and farms that are raising animals under both the Green and Dairy Beef Program and the Never Ever Program do have to meet higher welfare requirements. So, for example, with the Dairy Beef Program, uh, animals have to receive pain relief when they are being disbudded or castrated. Um, and there are requirements around uh, minimum volume and frequency of milk feeding for dairy calves as well. It's interesting. We're hearing more and more about um, about those sort of certifications into our markets. And uh, and I think that's clever to be using a, something that's recognised in the markets. Um, and and reading the, the criteria, they are, it makes a lot of sense. What about the genetics, though? Because... Um, you know, not many, well, most dairy farmers are, are using AI to the best Frisian bulls they can find. But we're now, you're asking them now to um, introduce another um, set of genetics. Um, and it could be bull or semen, but it has to be um, beef bread. So at a global level, we're seeing a shift away from what we might call traditional breeding strategies with the dairy herd, where we have herd of dairy cows, we use a beef sire over the whole herd. We pick the best pure dairy breed replacement females and we do whatever makes sense with the rest of the females and the male calves. The UK were the first uh, to come out with the terminology responsible breeding strategy as part of their GB dairy calf strategy. And the idea of a responsible breeding strategy or what some people might just refer to as a more modern breeding strategy is that we are being a lot more targeted about the number of replacement females that we need to breed from our dairy cows, what dams we're best to breed them from in order to maximise the rate of genetic gain. And then we're also being targeted about the genetic suitability of the surplus or non-replacement component of the calf drop. Now, up until this point in time, certainly in Australia, we've seen a lot of uptake of sex semen to breed those replacement females and the use of beef genetics over the rest of the herd or a portion of the herd to breed beef on dairy calves. But where we have perhaps lagged in Australia in comparison to some of our international counterparts like the US is that a lot of the selection pressure on those beef bulls has focused on them being A, beef, and C, high calving ease, and perhaps short gestation and or pole comes into it. And that's all very well and good, but with heavy selection pressure on calving ease, we're seeing beef on dairy calves coming out that, yes, they're beef, but growth and carcass traits aren't necessarily where they could be and certainly not where they're heading with genetic selection in other countries such as the US. So what we've done with our Greenham Dairy Beef Program approved genetics standard is that we're offering price premiums for farms that are using beef bulls for at least 50% of their beef joinings that meet a much higher criteria when it comes to breed percentile rankings for growth traits such as 400 day weight and carcass weight, as well as carcass attributes such as eye muscle area, carcass weight and eye uh, Any particular beef breeds that you're favouring? We don't have breed specific requirements. When it comes to market eligibility for calves, um, we do suggest that people consider using black bulls or Angus bulls because in some cases we can have more options for those animals should they fall out of the Greenham Dairy Beef Program and require treatment with antibiotics. So an important part of the program is that whilst it's antibiotic-free, so no prophylactic antibiotics in the diet, 
if an animal becomes sick, it's really important for welfare and production reasons that that animal isn't denied antibiotic treat treatment. So in the case that an animal gets sick, it's treated with the treatment that it needs and it's marked with a red ear tag that says treated. Um, and those animals can have more uh, market options if they're bred to Angus or black bulls, depending. Now, you talked about um, trying to improve the meat quality via genetics, and that made a lot of sense. But you've also got a requirement that the properties are MSA registered. Now, I'm, I'm guessing that that's not a high priority on a lot of dairy farms. Um, is, it, is it complex? Is it difficult for a dairy farm to um, get MSA accredited? No, certainly not a difficult process to go to, and, and there's links that dairy farms can do that. And, of course, all dairy farms are LPA accredited as well mm -hmm. um, because they're selling beef from their farms in the form of cull cows um, and surplus calves. And so what we see in the majority of circumstances is that, no, there aren't many dairy farms that are MSA accredited, um, but most of them have never really considered it. Yeah. Um, and it's actually something that they generally are reasonably glad to pursue and, and tick that box. Um, even if they're not planning to rear all their calves for the Green and Dairy Beef program, if they are planning to try and uh, maximise the, the market acceptability of the dairy beef that they're raising, then MSA accreditation just makes sense. So I'm talking today on Commodity Conversations to Sarah Bolton. She's Greenham's Dairy Beef and Animal Welfare Manager. So Sarah, I noticed that the program uh, stipulates 100% grass-fed. Now we know that calves don't start their life on grass. Um, quite often they, you know, they get supplementary fed. How does the 100% grass-fed program work in a practical sense when somebody's rearing a calf that's been taken away from its mum? It's actually a very interesting question, Robert. So for decades, the extension doctrine in the dairy industry has been that when we are artificially raising calves, so feeding them milk by hand or in these days, these days often via an auto feeder, that we want to wean that calf as early as possible. We therefore need to make sure that it has a developed rumen at the point of weaning, which in many cases is asking that calf to have a fully developed rumen long before it would, quote unquote, naturally develop it as per a cow-calf beef operation. So we know from really good research that feeding concentrates or grain to calves accelerates rumen development. Um, and encouraging early grain consumption and a minimum level of grain consumption has been used as an indicator for weaning. So the traditional doctrine has been get calves eating grain, accelerate rumen development so that we can wean them earlier. Now, of course, if we're raising calves on a cereal grain free program, that begs a lot of questions. And there's been relatively limited research at a global level. And so at the beginning of last year, Greenham, Dairy Australia, and the Tasmanian Institute of Agriculture embarked on a pilot study looking at whether or not we can raise calves on a cereal grain-free diet. Now, in that particular study, the researchers were quite clever in that the treatment where calves were fed a grain-free ration did not contain cereal grains, but it still had comparable protein, energy, and importantly, starch to conventional calf starters. So that particular ration um, was based on a faba bean ration. And so very interestingly in that study, the calves grew at a statistically um, similar rate. There was no statistically significant difference between the two groups. And importantly, that weight gain similarity was maintained for four weeks post weaning. 
So had the faber bean based diet not accelerated rumen development in the same way that cereal grains do, we would have expected our grain-free calves to drop their weight gain at the point of weaning when the milk was taken away. And so what we've actually learned from that study is that it's not grain that accelerates calf rumen development, it's starch. And theoretically, that starch can come from anywhere. It could come from an apple or a potato. In this case, a faber bean, it doesn't actually have to come from cereal grains. So it was a very interesting study. Well, that's fascinating. And uh, that's something that uh, is amazing what you do learn on Commodity Conversations, Sarah, and you've added a lot today. Um, this is a great program because it it's like you're adding value to a really long-established industry. And, and that's smart. That's good. So one of the things that we, we see a lot when it comes to um, conversations around how do we address, you know, the surplus calf challenge is that in many cases, dairy farmers have low visibility of what beef markets are available to them and how best to access those markets and hit all the specs effectively. So what we've tried to do with this program is work from the customer back along the supply chain to really set out how can we work with dairy farms over a long period of time to breed, feed and manage calves according to the market specs for a product that we already have huge demand for. So it's trying to flip that production push, which is kind of the old way of doing things. Hey, I have this product, someone please buy it. And instead go, what are people out there wanting to pay a premium for? And how can we work our way back along the value chain to produce more of that product? Well, it's a great program and uh, thank you very much for coming on Commodity Conversations today, Sarah, and explaining it to us. Um, I've had a look on your website. There's good information there. So anybody who wants to know more about this can certainly go to the website. And uh, Sarah, can I just thank you very much for coming on Commodity Conversations? Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure.